Welcome to the Lend Academy podcast, episode number 98. This is your host, Peter Renton, founder of Lend Academy. Today on the show, I'm delighted to welcome David Kimball. He is the new CEO of Prosper. Now, he's a name that not everybody knows, so I wanted to get him on the show to introduce himself. He's only been in the industry for a bit over a year. He has got a very deep history in financial services, but he's relatively new to the space. So I wanted to get him on the show, talk a little bit about himself, his background, but more importantly, um, what's been going on with Prosper and we talk about the $5 billion deal. We go into some depth there. We talk about what the state of their business today and, uh, and what they're working on. It was a fascinating interview, and I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to the podcast, David. Thank you. Happy to be here. Okay, so let's get started. I mean, a lot of people don't know that much about you. So why don't you give us a little bit of background about yourself and what you did before you came to Prosper? Yeah, no problem. I've uh, been in the financial services world for about 20 years. I spent uh, the first 10 years of my career with Ford and Ford Credit, and uh, the last 10 years of my career at USAA, and then I've spent the last year at Prosper. So my jobs have ranged, you know, at at Ford, I started off as a plant financial analyst uh, doing budgets for a plastics plant. And uh, before I left Ford, I'd had the opportunity to run their securitization program, mm-hmm. both in the U.S. and in Europe. I was also uh, had an opportunity to be the treasurer of Ford Credit of Europe. And at the end, I was dealing with financial strategy for Ford Credit in general, really at the time that uh, they had been dealing with Firestone and a number of downgrades. So it was kind of a, an epic time to be there. Great group, really enjoyed uh, being there. And then I spent 10 years at USAA, where over the course of that time, I also was in both treasury as well as finance. I was the CFO of its bank during the recession, and I was the treasurer of the company. And before I left, I was the CFO of the overall operations, which included banking, insurance, investments, as well as real estate. So it was a great experience to be at both of those companies, but I've really enjoyed my time to be here at Prosper for the last year. Okay, so you were... You were hired as CFO and you held that position for, you know, I guess for less than a year and now you've become CEO. So I guess as CEO, I mean, obviously you're setting the, the tone for the organization and and, uh, and and many other things. What I'd like to maybe do is just get a sense because, you know, Prosper's been in the news a lot, some positive, some negative stories over the last uh, year or so. What, what's the mood like inside Prosper today? Well, you hit it. I mean, there have been positive and negative. And I would tell you, about a year ago, we saw certainly more negative than positive. And I think it was really hard as a company. Here's a company that had been really on a massive trajectory and had attracted a phenomenal workforce. And everybody had been used to seeing growth all the time and and really seeing uh, pieces on us that were consistently positive. And so when that began to go the other direction, I think it was difficult for people. It's something they hadn't seen before. And what I give this team a lot of credit for is they really have been able to buckle down through what I think was a tough year for the industry. Clearly, it was a tough year for Prosper as well. And really look around and say, all right, let's remember what our mission's about. We're, we're here to facilitate the financial security of, of our customers. And let's make sure that we're mission focused and ensure that we're doing a phenomenal job. And if we're doing a phenomenal job, then we can, we can turn that around. We can 
ensure that uh, the future press ends up being positive because we are successful in what we're doing. And I'll tell you, over the last, call it six months, I've really seen a turnaround here. Uh, you can feel it on the floor. You can feel more enthusiasm. We went through a reduction in our workforce, and that's hard when you see a number of your coworkers that you value. We're just not in a position that we can we can do all the things that we'd anticipated doing, so we needed to reduce that workforce, and it's tough. And so what I think the group has really rallied around is let's make sure that this is a company that everybody's proud to be a part of, proud uh, to have on the resume. And I think you really do see that now. We've seen growth in our originations from July through March. Mm -hmm. And we were able to sign the consortium agreement, which gives us some stability there. And we've been able to do a lot of just great technical things as well, launching a new credit model. And I think that just gives the employees an ability to rally around it. And we're really seeing that now. Okay. Okay. I want to talk about that consortium deal in a little bit. But Firstly, I want to, like, let's just go back. You, you've been CEO now for, I guess it was December when Aaron Vermoot stepped down. And what has been your biggest challenge so far when you've, you know, you've taken the reins of a company that obviously, you know, is back on the upswing, but had a pretty, pretty difficult 2016. But what's, so what's been your biggest challenge so far? You know, I would tell you, it's probably a mindset shift. I think being the CFO during the troubling time, you end up, I think, playing a little bit more defense than offense. Sometimes it feels like you're playing not to lose something. And as a CEO, you just don't have the ability to do that. And fortunately, as a company, we moved the, the momentum to a place where it's easier for us to play offense instead of playing that defense. So I would tell you the, the hardest part is just making that transition. The great news is I have a, a CFO uh, on with us now who is phenomenal, and it allows me to be able to work with him so that all the things that I concentrated on as a CFO – I don't have to pay as much attention to that because I have uh, this great CFO in that role right now. And it allows me just to look more broadly and, like I said, play more offense, play to win rather than playing not to lose. Mm-hmm. Sure. So, and, and you know, given the fact that you are still relatively new in the industry, I mean, you, you, you obviously been in financial services a long time, and, but not in the marketplace lending space for a long time. And, you know, we, as, you, as you pointed out, you said that you know, this was an industry that was just growing and growing and growing, and and you know before we had the you know the lending club challenges in May of last year, you know there was you know there was already a downswing, and you guys announced your layoffs just you know I think it was the week before that. But the question that comes to my mind is why do you think? I mean, you look at the numbers, the origination numbers for Prosper, and you look at them for Avant and you know lending club and and the different competitors that we have, and it looks like Prosper went down further than anybody else. And I guess, why do you think 2016 was so challenging for Prosper? It was challenging for everybody. I'm not trying to paint it as Prosper had the the only challenges, but it was challenging for everybody. But it seemed like Prosper had it particularly bad. So why why do you think that was? You know, we we had a pretty decent investor concentration. And as a result, by not having a lot of diversification there, when you have just a couple of institutions move off, then it has a pretty significant impact on your volume. And I think we were actually in a position where we had a lot of people in the, in the wings coming in to the program, but I guess we hit that exact wrong spot where they were still on the sidelines when Lending Club had its issues. And as a result, a lot of people just said, you know what, this space is a little too hot for me right now. I need to have some time for this. And so over the course of that announcement was in May, 
to July, which is our lowest point, we just had a lot of people pull off. I say a lot of people. We had a handful of investors pull off, and we were not in a position to bring in the new investors. Right. And we chose not to maybe artificially increase our volumes. Certainly there's a temptation when you've had volumes go on for so long, and this is an industry that has been focused on volumes and using that as a measure of success. Mm-hmm. There was almost a muscle memory that said, we need to have that volume or we're, we're going to go down. And, and really, we decided, no, we need to have equilibrium. And so we used it as an opportunity to shore up our processes. We used it as an opportunity to tighten our credit. And we used it as an opportunity to look at our, our marketing channels to ensure that we really were doing the right thing. And it wasn't just about growth. And so certainly, for an industry that uses originations as the measuring stick, it looks like we had uh, a much worse situation than a lot of our peers. And I would tell you that that was a conscious effort to bring the level of equilibrium to a, a different stage such that we can get to a more sustainable company at a lower level than we were tracking to before. Right. No, no, I think that's you, – you, you make a very good point because, you know, I think the industry itself – is or has been in love with originations as the major metric and i think that's come from you know a never-ending growth and and the the you know the vc community and the other investors community love to see that growth and i think i i do think that's changed now i think now it's it's much more about building a sustainable business so i guess a follow-up question from that though is now that you know we're obviously you know, several months or you know, almost a year away from you know the, from July seventh July when you had said you had your lowest point. I mean, given the fact that you have you know volumes are obviously now have increased substantially off that low point. What is different now with the, with the investors that are coming on board than I guess than what was on board before the downturn? Well. Obviously, for us, we have the consortium in play right now, and that's a significant part of our originations. And that was meant to be able to show stability and confidence in the platform, and it's done exactly that. It's allowed us to begin to attract additional investors who, candidly, up until that time, the question had been, when's this consortium deal going to get done? And within the day of the announcement, it shifted to, wait, is there enough collateral for me? And that's a great problem to have. It's nice to have scarcity. And as a result, it's allowed us to uh, have more conversations with different investors that were not necessarily on our platform before that had been waiting in the sidelines for half a year, just ensuring that we were able to get to resolution on the consortium transaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that obviously was a big deal. And I know it was, it was leaked in, you know, I think it was August of last year, and it took quite a long time to actually get over the finish line, it sounds like. But... I mean, what I guess um, we heard about, we knew, we knew about some of the issues. You know, obviously, you had the pending thing with uh, with cultures that's been talked about, but which I don't really want to get into today. But I guess so. The consortium coming in now is that like how has that changed your business? I mean, you, you obviously gave away a lot. It sounds like in getting this deal on the table, but you obviously you obviously thought it was worth it. But how has that changed? The business and and you said you've got now got much more investor interest. Do you do you feel like this has now put you in a place where you were you know a year or two ago? You know, it's tough for me actually to apply on where we were a year or two ago because I've been here just a year. But what I would tell you is the intention then is to provide us more investor diversification than we had a year or two ago. Right. And really, as we approach the volume, doing it in an even more measured pace than we had done previously. So. 
the irony of the interaction with the consortium is they were buying from us over the course of that period, even though we didn't have the transaction completed. And what it allowed us to do was to slowly ramp up the volume to ensure that the volume that we were bringing in was, here again, more sustainable than it had been in the past, that it was at a level that made sense economically for us and for the investors. And so what we've been able to do and what we will do going forward is ensure consistent measured growth. And that's where I think that consortium base ends up helping us. And by working with them and providing equity as part of the incentive with the consortium, we do align our interests. They ultimately want us to see long-term success because they have an equity investment in us Mm -hmm. as they continue to buy. And so that's a great partner to have when you're having somebody who's buying loans from you who wants you to ultimately have other people buy loans from you to have you be an even bigger success. They have no reason to be selfish in this regard. They want to be able to share our success with everyone because ultimately it will make them even more successful as equity holders. Right. And just but, you know, given how the size of this consortium deal, and I don't know if you said it's up to $5 billion over two years, and given where you are now, I mean, don't, don't you run into the same risk of I mean, having one large investor dominate the volume and sure, their interests are aligned and they're not just going to pull the plug like, like, like others might. But still, you, you I mean, you talk about, you talked about diversity of investors. Do you want to have this consortium be 50% of the platform or 10% of your platform? I mean, I feel like given how big it is, they've, that you run the risk again of having, you know, more eggs in one basket than what you would like. Certainly near-term, it is going to be a significant part of our program. And the long-term, though, this is viewed as a bridge, and this is the way we've communicated it uh, within our company and externally to other investors. This is a bridge of stability over the next couple of years that allows us to get that diversification over the course of the two years. So it would be really mismanagement on our part if we ignored the fact that uh, it was investor concentration that put us in a disadvantage over the last year. And for us to follow up in two years from now and have that same investor concentration would certainly make this investment uh, not as worthwhile as it otherwise had been. So the, the clock is ticking, if you will, for us to be able to use this as a bridge to show the investors collectively the confidence of the consortium and uh, the strength of the company, which then enables us to be able to bring others on to the platform as they see that stability. Right, right. Okay, so let's let's so talking about others that are coming onto the platform. I don't know what you can share, but you know you've you know you've had banks that are equity investors in in Prosper, and you know I know that there's been some banks that have been you know publicly have, have said publicly they're investing in the loans of Prosper. But I mean, is there where are you at with talking with the banks these days? Is there anything you can share about the banks that are, are coming on board to buy loans today? We really don't usually comment on that. Clearly, the the consortium was a difference there, but that's one where the investors themselves will determine whether or not they want to make an announcement. We typically shy away from making those comments, other than to say that we continue to get interest and we're bringing uh, new investors on, uh, really on a weekly to monthly basis, you know, just depending. And sometimes there's a due diligence cycle that takes a long time, sometimes it's shorter. And so in any uh, given week, you're going to see uh, more investors uh, come in. 
But ultimately, the announcement of those ends up being predicated on the desire of the investor to make an announcement. Right. Yeah, understood. So what about retail investors? I want to talk about them for a little bit. I am I am one of those. Obviously, we've got you have a, a decent sized retail base, but there's been a, um, uh, I guess, a sense inside Prosper. Aaron Vermouth has, has said it multiple times and previously that Prosper intends to focus more on the retail investor. And we just haven't seen a whole lot of changes. And I know there's been, there's been, there's been a, a few things that have happened in the last month with, you know, changing some of the, of the automated investing pieces. But I, I want to get, I want to get your sense of where you're at with the retail investor today. It's a great question. And, and one that I would tell you that I echo the intent. So I think the retail investor is one of the things that makes this space attractive. I mean, this is a space that started off as peer to peer. And you had an ability for an individual investor to have access to an asset class and return that they typically don't have access to. And you have an opportunity for a borrower to get a lower rate that they wouldn't necessarily always have access to. And being able to connect those two in a more efficient way than you see in a lot of traditional financial institutions is what we're all about. And so we do want to make sure that we're increasing that access for that individual investor. You mentioned some of the enhancements we made on the platform itself, just making it easier to invest. And I will tell you, part of the reason that we didn't do a big media campaign before that is we wanted to make sure that as those individual investors came in, that they were excited about the opportunity and, and liked what they saw. We didn't want to bring people into something that was maybe more kludgy or, or a, a more difficult experience. And just as we were launching those enhancements, well, the industry itself had some issues that it had to deal with. And so those had taken more of our concentration. Suffice it to say that 2017, you'll see certainly more there. We're seeing an uptick on our investors, our retail investors, which has been fantastic, partially because we have not focused that much marketing on that. And so we're seeing a natural uptick there. And so we look to be able to uh, build on that little bit of momentum and uh, certainly would expect to see greater penetration as we go forward on the retail side. And so stay tuned uh, as we continue to make those efforts. Okay. Well, so based on that reading between the lines, you said there will be some new features or new, you know, when you say, or or just a more targeted marketing to increase the the base. I mean, is there anything more that, you know, we can, you can say about the, the retail investor? I think it's spicy to say that you'll see marketing, you'll see features, you'll be, you'll see other things just to make sure that we can, uh, we can attract. Uh, the right investor base there. Okay. Well, I mean, that, that's that, you know, that's fair enough. I mean, we have, I mean, one of the things that, you know, I, I report my returns every quarter and I, I, I basically go into all the details. And the reality is, um, and this is what's, you know, I talk about privately with many, many investors. People want, when they want more access to Prosper, they want more loans and they want, you know, a more variety of loans because the, you know, you guys, the returns at Prosper, frankly, have been, have you know, really good over the last two years where others have not have not done as well. So I think there is in privately when I when I talk to people, there's a lot of appetite, shall we say. You know, what we what we worry about, we talk privately is so that we worry about just Prosper's just gonna shut down the retail f- platform because there just is there isn't a whole lot of volume. It, it's gotta cost money and you know what that's something that obviously we don't wanna we don't want to see. And it sounds like from what you're saying is that's that's not even on the table. It's not. I mean, there are really two ways to approach that. You can either 
make the size sufficient that it's appealing, or you can shut it down. And we are certainly of the mind that we're going to make the size sufficient that it's appealing. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. Then, so let's talk about cash. I mean, you've been CFO. You're obviously keeping a very close eye on on the numbers. And, you know, we, we know it's been, I think it was two years this month since your last fundraise and we know that you know, you've, you did burn through a lot of cash last year, as did everyone in the space, it seems like. So uh, are you looking to raise money again soon, or do you have enough runway to get you through to, to being cash flow positive again? Yeah, I think to answer really both of those questions, we're certainly open to investors to the extent that uh, more want to invest in the equity side here. We're not necessarily on a roadshow right now, obviously, to do something like that, but ultimately, for us to be attractive, we need to run a really good business. And one of the hallmarks of running a really good business, as we talked about earlier, is we want to be in a position where we're generating cash. Mm-hmm. So it's much better to be able to go to those investors and say, hey, invest in us because we want to be able to use this cash to be able to increase our growth or to be able to uh, find a strategic alternative here. What you don't necessarily want to do is go, I need to raise more cash because I'm burning through my cash. Those are two different equations. And so the best thing we can do is what we've been doing over the last year is right-sizing our business, putting ourselves in a position where we can be self-sustaining, and then it becomes easier to have conversations about uh, valuation and about uh, the amount of cash that we'd want to have in that case. Certainly open to it. So do you have, I know you you guys were cash flow positive in the past. I mean, do you have a sense of how far away you are from being that again? Is it going to happen this year? Can you give us some sense of a timetable? It will happen this year. I expect us uh, to be pretty darn close in the second quarter. So uh, we, if not second quarter, shortly thereafter. Okay. Okay. Well, that's that's really good to hear. And so then let's just talk a little bit about the future. I mean, I guess, firstly, I want to get a sense of you know where you are as far as origination levels. I mean, we know it's, I still don't like it as a, as a metric to determine the success of a business. But given the fact that you're moving towards a cash, you know, cash flow positive, I think that's that to me is still the single most important thing. I think that's what's shifted in the industry. But do you have a sense of what of what levels you can be at that cash flow positive position, and, and when you might get back to where you were, you know, when the business was humming along? Yeah, I would tell you that in terms of that break even point, we've lowered it pretty considerably versus where it was before. So if you look at the Second quarter, or sorry, the fourth quarter of 2015, we originated $1.2 billion and we were not cash flow positive. In the first quarter of 2016, we were a billion dollars and we were not cash flow positive. Mm-hmm. I would tell you that where we were able to originate either one of those levels, we would be at a point where we're generating a decent amount of cash. So we've, we've lowered that rate. I'm not necessarily going to tell you what quarter we're going to hit the fourth <laughs> quarter of 2015 level again. Right. Um, but, but I will tell you that uh, the intent is to be able to take the originations that we see on the horizon right now and be able to ensure a sustainable business based on those originations. Okay. Okay. So then what about, you know, what, what are you working on as a company today? What are the, when you get together with the, the senior management there, I mean, what are the, what are the big goals that you're really trying to, to hit on for 2017? So does it seem... Uh, repetitive if I say breaking even and ensuring we're generating cash. <laughs> no, no, not at all. That, that's that's a good goal. What what, what else though? No, I think uh, sustainable business is ultimately the the biggest goal we have. 
I'll tell you that uh, as I look at uh, the biggest things for us, certainly the origination goals because that feeds that cash is something that we focus on, but certainly not to the levels that we have seen historically uh, at a much more uh, tame level than was there before. Uh, consistency on our credit performance, consistency on operating excellence, that's a critical thing for us. But at the end of all of it, or really at the beginning of all of it, is employee engagement. What I think we have that other companies don't have is the employees. Um, we have a great talent base here. And as these guys get excited about really going on the offensive again, making sure that we're embracing technology in ways that others haven't even really anticipated, that's the thing that's exciting here. We have a great mission and we have a great employee base. And so the combination of those two really enables us to have a phenomenal year and a phenomenal next couple of years. We as a management team need to ensure that uh, as they work this hard, that it's producing good results. And I think we're well positioned to do that in 2017. Mm -hmm. Okay. You recently switched from Experian to TransUnion to running your credit models. And I'd like to know the reasoning behind that and how that is going to to help you going forward. Well, it really allows us to have more of a time series look at the credit picture rather than just a point in time. And I would tell you, as I look over the last six months, that is one of the, the big accomplishments that I give this team a lot of credit for. That was something that we accelerated the transition really more than a quarter versus what the original timeline was. This is something that required kind of an all-hands-on-deck look both from the credit team and the engineering team, just aggressively across across the company. And as a lot of people know who uh, run these operations, it's great to celebrate when you launch the new system, but then you've got to disengage the old system, and that ends up still taking you a long time. So we were able to really completely make that transition by the end of the first quarter. And here again, I give the team a lot of credit for digging deep and being able to work across different groups to ensure that uh, that was able to be pulled off with really one of our best launches, Prosper to Date. So, mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, what it will allow us to do is it allows us with that time series to be able to say yes in areas that we weren't able to say yes before. And here again, that helps us be able to address that, that mission of being able to put people in a place where they're better off financially than they were before. Okay, so we're just about out of time, but before I let you go, I want to just get a sense of you personally, um, like what what are you personally working on today, you know, that, as, as a CEO that, that excites you, that, that makes you really, you know, happy to be coming to work in the morning? You know, for me, it's the art of the possible. I continue to tell people when they see what we do, you know, we, we provide loans, we provide investments. This is not something that's new. I mean, Loans have been around since Babylon. Um, so uh, this is not necessarily a new space. What I love about this space is the opportunity to do things differently and do it quickly, ensuring that you understand the lessons that we see all around us, but then embracing technology in ways that maybe weren't even anticipated a month ago and being able to provide something completely different in the space. We, for the last year, have dealt with you know, a, a tough period in the industry. What I'm really excited about is being able to provide that stability and then getting back to the exciting part of this space, which is really transforming and disrupting. Right. Okay. That sounds great. Well, on that note, I'll, I'll have to let you go, but I, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, David. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay. See ya. Bye-bye. The Prosper story is certainly one of survival. 
you know, things were looking pretty bleak back in the financial crisis when defaults went way up and they had a cease and desist from the SEC came in and, you know, they got through that difficult period and got back on track. And then back in late 2012, they had some more challenges and a new management team came in, new executive team came in and recapitalized the company. And here they are again, they've had a challenging 2016 and have a new leader now and a new perspective and they're back getting on very solid ground again. So I feel like they've done, you know, there's something about Prosper that keeps them kicking, keeps them coming back. And I think that 2017 is a critical year for them. They've obviously got the consortium deal behind them now. And, you know, the cash flow positive before the end of the year, I think, is going to be uh, another great sign, not just for Prosper, but I think for the industry as well. We want we want many strong companies in the industry, and we certainly want Prosper to be uh, a part of that. Anyway, on that note, I will sign off. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll catch you next time. Bye.